0: And welcome to Dishing with Stephanie's Dish, the podcast where we talk to people in the food space that are cookbook writers, recipe developers, and just people overall interested in food. And when I think about someone interested in food in an extreme, lovely way, Jenny Breen is it. Um, Jenny is the author of Cooking Up the Good Life, creative recipes for the family table, but she is also an educator. She is someone who is you keenly interested in the sustainability of our local food system. And Jenny, you are also a caterer. You are involved with other women's organizations and helping us just generally think about health and food in a way that's hopefully sustainable as we move forward. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So you and I had coffee the other day, and I'm so glad we did because it was good just to catch up. And I sort of had this idea that maybe you were like um, this like real natural foodist and really militant in your views. And what I discovered is, is you, you are militant in your like local food and sustainability views, but that you're a very regular, normal person who (laughs) just wants to eat good and help other people eat good. And it doesn't have to be like this giant thing, it can just start out with the most simplest ideas. Does that like surprise you that I thought that about you?
1: It, it actually doesn't because I think a lot of people kind of have that idea. One, that I think people think that I have like this sort of perfect diet and that I never, ever make a quote unquote bad choice or I don't eat sweets or, you know, I'm always, always sort of following all the rules or whatever. so, yeah, I think that's a pretty typical perception. And you're right. I'm militant. I don't know if I would use the word militant. I'm very, very committed to passionate and I'm committed to, choices that are intentional and that have a, you know, have a thought behind them, and that's actually everything that I teach. It's not that I'm trying to tell people what to choose, but I want people to be, as intentional
0: as they can be. And you can know. you give me an example of like how that would come through maybe in your work with your students or, because I yeah. do think we make, we make these choices about food so political and complicated and difficult. Right. And really you can make this choice every day at the grocery store or opening your refrigerator.
1: A hundred percent. That's what it's all about. And what I want people, you know, people want rules interestingly enough. That's my experience with students. Everybody wants rules and they want to know what my rules are and they want to know, you know, what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And I'm not that interested in giving people rules. I don't even want rules for myself. In fact, when people ask me what I am, like they want my label, I say, I don't have a label, you know, I'm pretty committed to my health and I like to feel good. And so most importantly, I want things that make me feel good and that feel good for me. But I also really care about the impact. Impact that those choices have on the environment. I care about the impact that they have on local producers and farmers. As you know, very, you know, very personally, um, we have incredible local food producers and food makers and people who are trying to make a living through doing these kinds of things in really responsible and sustainable ways. And I want to support that because I know that it's for everybody's benefit for the long-term health of the planet and for our health. So I talk about, that's kind of how I talk about it with my students is I say, look, do you know the story behind your food? That's really what I want people to be thinking about how did that food get to you? How, what, what was the labor situation like for the people who had to pick those vegetables or had to process those vegetables? You know, how was the land taken care of where that meat was produced and how much water did it take to make that particular hamburger or whatever, you know, how many ingredients that you can't identify are in that food? And do you care about that? Is that something you want to think about before you put it in your body? So I, if you ask me personally, yes, I have very strong opinions about what my priorities are, but I do feel like it's really just important for us to have priorities. And then, you know kind of base our decisions on those priorities.
0: So if you were going to coach someone on what a just basic healthy lifestyle choices might be like, are there, you know, Michael Pollan, who we still are talking about the omnivores dilemma all these Mm -hmm. years later, not because other books haven't been written, but for whatever reason, that book came through the zeitgeist and got people to eat more plants, eat less meat. Do you, is that something you subscribe to or how do you tell your students like what those rules might be and what are the rules?
1: You know, it's, it's amazing because Michael Pollan was actually quite pivotal and it wasn't that book. It was an article that I read in the New York times about corn and I had never really realized how ubiquitous corn was in our diet and and why that was. And it's because of, you know, food policy and subsidized corn in, in this country. And that set me on the path of trying to understand this story. And that's what he wrote about the story behind your food. So the reality is that I don't I I am not vegetarian. Like I, I include animal foods in my diet, but they make up a pretty small proportion of my diet. And I feel like that is the sustainable way for us to eat animal foods or meats especially. Um, And so I think, uh, I think eat foods, mostly plants is really good advice. I'm, I have to admit, I'm not a huge fan of the term plant-based that has been sort of taken over by the vegan world, because in my opinion, all food is plant-based. <laughs> That's what yeah. food is, um, including animals, right? Because animals eat plants if they're being raised the way they should be. Um, and so I just think mostly plants or plant forward or plant you know, heavy is a really, really, uh, probably the healthiest way for us to eat for our own bodies and again, for the environment. Um, that's not to say that everything that's organic is best. Um, a lot of my students assume that that's what I'm saying, and I think it's really important to clarify that there can still be giant monoculture organic farms that are not necessarily that sustainable and that don't have necessarily great labor practices, and you know where that that food is traveling perhaps a really long distance to get to us. So that isn't necessarily always the best choice. Um, so for me, I want to know it's been raised as regeneratively, that's sort of the new sustainable, right? That what people are doing to produce their food is potentially even going to improve the soil or the quality of, you know, the environment. I want to know that people are making a livelihood from the food they're producing. I want to know that nobody, no human or animal is really being harmed in the production of that food. Now, some people, of course, would say, well, if you're eating animals, they've been harmed. Um, And that's true, but I do think there's an important role for animals in the overall agricultural system. And, you know, I'm talking about if we eat proportionately to kind of what is best for the environment, we're talking maybe a few times a month or a few times a week at most that we're having any animal food and we're having it in- small proportion to the vegetables and other whole foods. Um, I'm a big fan of just talking about whole foods, you know, just eat foods the way nature makes them. If you can stick with that one rule,
0: you're going to be in really good shape. When we look at not eating as many plants or excuse me, not eating as much meat, Mm -hmm. because I think originally sort of my Midwestern vision of this plate was, you know, meat and potatoes and a vegetable, And the vegetable was an equal proportion with the grain because it could be pasta, it could be rice, but there was always a starch, a vegetable and a meat. So Mm -hmm. if I'm trying to shift my plate and I want my plate to maybe be two thirds something and then one third grain or one third meat, what am I substituting that meat protein with? Because people get real freaked out (laughs) about that they need all this protein. So is that coming from beans or grains? Because I think- you know, like I'm a good cook and I know how to cook and I can open a cookbook and cook most things. But when it comes to like making that meal and making that plate and thinking about how my husband wants to eat and Mm -hmm. how my family wants to eat, that plate still feels challenging to me.
1: Yeah. I think that's a lot of, a lot of people have that dilemma and it's because we have this idea that protein exists separately from plants, for example there's tons of protein in plants, (laughs) tons of protein in plants, whole grains, vegetables, they all have protein in them. And so one of the things, so I teach um, nutrition students and I teach future health professionals uh, along with, I co-teach that class with a doctor. And we talk a lot just about variety, just eat a lot of different whole ingredients and you will be fine. Now that said, you can certainly enjoy legumes or, you know, well, I, I enjoy eggs or soy. I love tofu and tempeh, and I can talk about the difference between that and the soy that's we have to worry about. But you don't have to worry about protein so much if you're eating whole foods. There's plenty of protein and nutrients and vitamins in those foods. What happens is, When we start breaking those things down, that's when we have to start worrying about it. And that's when we have to actually look for it and be really like of it because it's not naturally there anymore.
0: I think too, it's getting real confusing about plant-based food because I think there's this whole generation that is really interested in sustainability, caring for the environment. They've been told that animals are ruining the planet. And therefore they should just eat more plant-based foods. And so instead of eating a, you know, hamburger, they're going to go to the impossible burger. Mm -hmm. And they don't know that, and no offense against the impossible burger, like maybe having more choices is better for the environment overall, because it mitigates any one thing from being leaned on too much, but you know, a plant-based burger is still full of stuff.
1: Stuff stuff.
0: Yeah. I don't necessarily know what's in that stuff. Highly processed stuff
1: and stuff that, um, you know, for example, soy, which is the foundation of a lot of, you know, plant-based meats is just a really over, um, pesticide laden crop in this country. And it's when you break it down and you take out the isolated parts of it, that's when it becomes kind of toxic and dangerous. And so I I agree. I appreciate that there's maybe more choices. So, you know, any one thing is, is maybe going to be consumed less. But I really push back when students, you know, sort of feel like I'm doing great by choosing this meat alternative instead of meat. And I sort of feel like, you know, I would rather eat a hamburger where I know the person who produced that burger. I know everything about that farm. I know how they took care of that animal. I know how they took care of the land and I know where my money's going. Then one of those burgers that I'll tell you, those companies, they're huge. They're making boatloads of money on all of the new plant-based eaters and those ingredients are not particularly good for you or necessarily for the planet. Now, again, there are bigger conversations to have about that, but I just feel like I don't, if you want something that tastes like meat, just eat meat. Like I personally, um, I'm not a huge red meat eater. I enjoy chicken from time to time, but I don't eat other things because I want them to taste like meat. And then when I teach students about cooking with, you know, tofu or tempeh or things, I say, look, if you want this to be a substitute for meat, you're going to be disappointed because that's not what it is. And it doesn't taste like it. But if you just think about this as another yummy option, (laughs) you'll enjoy it. Right. And you can make it yummy. So I think it's unfortunate. I mean, I, the, the big alternative meat industry, I don't even know what to call it, that, you know, the fake burger people, they are making so much money. I don't know how sustainable their productions are. I don't know how well they're paying their workers. I don't plants know are farmed.
0: Like it takes
1: water. Absolutely. I don't think any of the, yeah. So I think I just really encourage people to be more informed before they think that just because something doesn't have a particular ingredient, in this case, meat, you know, I have students, Stephanie, um, I have them do an analysis of their diet as in terms of environmental impact. And, you know, they track their eating for three days. And I have several students who say, oh, I don't eat any meat. My environmental impact is really, really low. And I'd say, you haven't had a single vegetable, everything that you ate, although it didn't have meat, came out of a package. So how is that more sustainable?
0: (laughs) Right, exactly. That's super interesting to think about it in that way. So we've talked a lot about like trying to be more intentional and trying to know your farms. So in a practical sense, where do you buy your food? Or how do you get this information, you Jenny Breen, as a model for how other people should literally do this?
1: It's a great question. And I also know, you know, there's a lot of discussion about whether healthy food is affordable for everyone. And and it's a, it's an important question. And this is when I really start talking to people about the bigger food system. And I say, you're right, healthy food is often more expensive than not. And that's not because the farmers are getting rich. It's because our food system is set up that way. And our government is subsidizing, you know, the foods that we're telling you you shouldn't be. They're basically subsidizing the chronic disease crisis in this country. But anyway, in terms of I shop as much as I can at farmers markets when available and when possible. And in, in Minnesota, we actually have a number of winter markets, which is pretty awesome. Um, you know, there's less produce, but certainly all of our, our grains, our flowers, our proteins, our dairy, we can get year round. And of course the natural food co-ops for being a, a state where we don't, we have a pretty long, long winter as we're all knowing right now, right? Yeah. Cause it's snowing. Yeah. Cause it's, it's snowing personal. on April 18th. However, we have like the biggest concentration of food co-ops in the country. So if ever you wanted to be able to at least start shopping and seeing what's available, the co-ops have curated all of this for us. We don't even have to worry because we know that they have standards and they're selling things that have been vetted. So they are looking into that. And if we want more information, they will answer our questions, which is another thing I tell my students is you're the shopper. You're spending money. If you want to know more about your food, the person selling it to you should know. And if they can't answer your questions, then maybe you want to revisit
0: whether that's where you want to shop. I don't think people get how rigorous it is to be on a shelf in a co-op and that people get kicked out too. Like, some of the Minnesota makers that I work with, when they go from making it themselves in a commercial kitchen to a, a co-packer, they have to leave co-ops because they can't get the sustainable ingredients that the co-packer needs. and in, And that will allow them to scale up for like a target, but it forces them out of the, because mm-hmm. they might be using hydrogenated oils or some other something that the co-op won't allow anymore. So that's
1: interesting. I, yeah, I didn't even know that, but it is right. Scaling is hard because when you scale, all of a sudden you have to, you know, you sometimes you have to compromise and that's why these big companies, you know, are more questionable. I mean, and, and I know we're all not in positions to make those choices all the time. And so, I mean, you know, there are, Certainly you have to sort of come up with your own like um, priority list. Uh, I certainly can talk to people about, for example, fats, you know, fats, people think that I should get canola oil and that's really good or corn oil, vegetable oil, which we in our class, we kind of laugh and say, what, what's vegetable oil? Because vegetables don't actually have oil in them. Um, and it's basically corn or soy, which unfortunately are really not great foods for us to consume, right? They're The way they have to get that oil out of a soybean or corn is to use a method that makes it kind of toxic. And so I'll coach people, okay, if I have to make choices, choosing oils, fats that are better for us are really high on the list, right? Like that's a place to maybe spend a little more money where buying organic vegetables or not, maybe not as much, especially, you know, we know the dirty dozen and the clean 15, right? So the ones that have outer shells or that can be peeled. So it takes some time. I mean, often what I'll say to people is it's really an investment of time more than money. If you have the time or take the time, to really think through this and prioritize and know what you want. And even just scaling back on meat saves money, right? So there are lots of ways to um, manage it and make it accessible, make it affordable. Obviously, when things are in season at the farmer's market, they're really affordable. Preserving food can you know, get you longer, longer season. Yes, yes, the freezer, I love the freezer and I teach canning and pickling to my students. Um, but it's, you do have to put the time in, you you know, just like with anything, you can't get away with just kind of not dealing with it and then wanting it to
0: work. Okay. Two questions for veg, for fats, what kind of fats do you use? Like I just did a carrot cake recipe and I'll be perfectly honest. It's delicious. I loved it, but I felt really gross because it, the recipe called for the recipe I did had a cup of oil. And I kept thinking that's so much (laughs) like what else. And I was thinking like applesauce. And so when Mm. you're using oils, because there are some things you need to use oils in. do you use just coconut oil? Do you use olive oil, nut seed or nut oils? Yep.
1: Those are all great options. So I use olive oil, nut or seed oils, avocado oil, coconut oil, anything that comes from a plant that you can identify, right? That like, oh, this naturally has fat in it. That means that fat naturally is there. So it doesn't take chemicals or some kind of heat extraction to somehow get oil out of it. It's just naturally extracted.
0: What would um, be the most neutral oil? Cause some of those are pretty flavorful.
1: Yeah. Avocado is a very neutral. Um, and it's an high in omega sixes, which is just something that it's hard to find. We don't need to necessarily worry about that, but it's just a good source of it. It's also, it's a high heat oil, which I usually say to people, you shouldn't really, you shouldn't have to worry about that. Cause most of us shouldn't be cooking at that high of a heat anyway. Right. But, um, but it is a high heat oil. So if you want to like quick fry something, it can be really easy to use. Also a little more expensive, unfortunately. Um, But I also, the other thing to know is that when you're using these high quality oils, you don't have to really worry about them. I mean, I agree a cup of oil is a lot and you can play around with adjusting things. But, um, but when you're eating these quality oils, they're so satisfying because they're so naturally what your body wants that we just don't over consume them. And so we don't have to worry about like measuring or, oh my gosh, I have so many students who are worried about fat and that's the wrong thing for us to worry about.
0: Yeah, it really is and it's a very old myth that we're still trying to come out of from 1970 when everyone was eating low fat.
1: Absolutely. And and look what happened. It didn't get us any further away from all of the heart disease and diabetes and obesity that we're facing now.
0: When we look at your cookbook Cooking Up the Good Life, uh creative recipes for the family table, it's been a while since you published that. People can order it on your website. Yep. And it's five-star rated. I mean, people oh. loved it. Oh. Um, Thanks. Yes. So it, it's been a while since you wrote that cookbook. Do you think about writing another or are your pursuits just other places? Because it is hard.
1: It is hard. I really, really want to write another one. Um, and it's funny because I there are things I would change about the recipes in that book now, for sure. Um, I love that because it's arranged around the seasons and it's got a lot of tips for cooking with kids, which is something I think is vitally, vitally important, you know, starting kids early with just being around food and being around scratch cooking and ingredients that are whole. Um, But if I were going to write another one, and I'm hoping I do, it would be more around this conversation about just eating whole foods, not having labels, not being attached to rules, just understanding the overall ideas and principles and, and just learning how to, you know, listen to your intuition and put food together so that it's delicious, but that you also know the story behind it. I really think I'm pretty passionate at this point. And I feel a little bit on, I'm, I won't back down on the environmental impact side of this because I, you know, it's kind of crucial for us to care about that.
0: (laughs) Yep. Well, we're in the, what is it? The 10 year window of, you know, that we could make a difference, I guess.
1: And we could. I mean, the thing that makes me crazy is that we actually know it's not that complicated to farm in a way that isn't so destructive, but there's so many systems in place that make it hard for that to happen. So the bigger, you know, the bigger forces like our federal government have to really go along with those changes and support people in making those changes. But it's not that we don't know what we need to do.
0: Yeah, it's crazy the amount of money that the government is giving people to farm things that aren't good for you or to not farm them because we have a surplus, but yet, you know, the hoops and the lack of funding there are for small farmers, organic farmers, family farms, it's just, yeah. it's crazy.
1: It is crazy. It's, it's infuriating,
0: really. <laughs> Jenny, it's been great to talk to you. If people want to learn more about you or hire you for an event or to speak, or they are interested in your classes, where do you want them to go?
1: Well, my website is transformingthetable.com. It's it's going to get a facelift. It's a little a little old school right now, but you can still find me that way. Otherwise, the, I'm happy to receive emails at jennybrockley at gmail.com.
0: Jenny Broccoli. It is. Thank you so much for talking with us today. And I look forward to catching up with you soon, Jenny.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Okay.
0: Bye-bye, Jenny Breen.
1: (laughs) Bye-bye.